This is the Wheel of Time podcast on TV Podcast Industries. We're back talking about the Wheel of Time Season 2, Episode 5, Deman. Do you know why the Aes Sedai swear the three oaths in the first place? A thousand years ago, a great king threatened to burn the tower unless we bound ourselves with the oaths. <laughs> our power didn't frighten him as much as our humanity. That's why the White Tower has so many rules and rituals and formalities. If we look inhuman and predictable, like the tides, men won't measure themselves against us. They have to tear us down. Hello, Wheelies. It's the Wheel of Time podcast from TV Podcast Industries. We're talking about Wheel of Time Season 2, Episode 5, Demane, I think, or Deman. Um, <laughs> I am one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow Wheelies. Do you like to dance? Mm-hmm. I am your other ale host, John. Very good. Uh, we are unfortunately uh, splitting our group this week because Chris can't join us for this uh, recording session yes, on Wheel of Time, unfortunately. he is being chased across Ireland by Lanfear as yeah. we speak, yeah. with multiple casualties along the way. <laughs> Thankfully, not Chris. Exactly. Otherwise known as nephews and nieces. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, showing off his brand new baby to the nephews and nieces today. So uh, so can't join us for this one, but that's all right. We will go in depth into this episode. So much happening in episode five of The Wheel of Time. We're uh, only three episodes left after this. So yes, uh, plenty of stuff going on mm-hmm. here. Seeing more of the world as well with uh, Falm. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. Enjoyed this episode. Absolutely, yeah. I think I got through two full pages of notes for this episode because uh, so much was going on. Um, but we are going to crack into our spoiler-filled discussion about this episode. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, we'd love if you would. Uh, pop on over to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com. You can subscribe there to our main podcast feed where we're covering uh, lots of other stuff. We're covering uh, Star Wars Ahsoka at the moment, which is also an episode five this week. Um, we will be staying with uh, Prime Video for the spin-off of The Boys, Gen V, coming up uh, towards the end of september i think it's uh i think it starts on the 29th september i think it is yes we are getting into crazy hour Uh um or crazy season uh halloween plus a ton of shows Mm -hmm. being released as derek said uh but yes gem v will be coming up at the end of september we still can't talk about it yet but it's uh, very different from the other shows that we're covering at the moment, let's say that. <laughs> but very Absolutely. similar in the boys' world. Good stuff. Yeah. One other thing to mention, uh, you can, of course, send in your feedback for our coverage of Wheel of Time or any of the shows that we're covering. You can email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. And later on in the episode, we will be giving out our fifth question in our Wheel of Time Tavern quiz. Uh, just gather together all the answers to um, the eight questions at the end of the season. Email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com with the answers, and you could get your hands on some Wheel of Time 
goodies. Yes, indeed yeah. you may. And Possibly he... Randall Thor. <laughs> we will not be sending Randall Thor attached to a wheel at your home, <laughs> I promise you that. <laughs> uh, but if you have missed any questions so far, you can pop to the website at tvpodcastindustries.com and all the questions are up there under pub quizzes for all the pub quizzes that we've done. Yes, uh, but let us get into our spoiler-filled discussion. Derek, take it away. Well, of course, the show is based on the book series by Robert Jordan. The showrunner for the show is Rafe Lee Judkins. This episode was written by Rohit Kumar, an executive story editor and writer on Walking Dead World Beyond in the past. Excellent. That's a really good his game, I guess. Well, it was a really good spin-off, I thought, <laughs> uh, World Beyond, especially the second season. I have season. no idea. It was like, really good. Literally. Yeah. It's just because Walking Dead did seem to stumble on for a long time, even with its spin-offs. Um just like the zombies, I guess. Well, yes, yes. But Daryl Dixon series just started, based in France. Daryl Dixon in France, weirdly. Yes. Um, <laughs> but it is a fun one. We watched the first episode of that. That's yeah, good, that good was start. good. But yeah. Daryl was always good. He was. He was. The episode was directed by Maya Verveo, a very recognizable name for uh, listeners to TV podcast industries, because in the past, she's directed two episodes in season one of Picard, and has directed lots of other Star Trek as well. But for ourselves... She has directed two episodes of Gotham, and Ooh, you'll recognize the names, back John. Back in the day. Yeah, the prime, Primal Riddle Very and good. Mandatory Brunch Meeting. Two excellent episodes of Gotham. Definitely. And we always like a good Mandatory Brunch Meeting. We do, we yes. do. But you know why that has special significance this weekend, John? I bet Go- you don't know this. No, I won't. Yeah. Ten years ago, this weekend... We had our first discussion in the dropping well about starting a podcast. Do you know how I know that? Go on. Because Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. premiered 10 years ago next week, and we discussed covering that as That's our first true. show. I remember that. Now. Yeah, it took yes. us a couple of months to set up, and our first show ended off being Gotham, and we've never covered Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but it was this weekend, 10 years ago, that we started. That's Interesting. Special, isn't it? Yes. Gee, I need to sort of get my memory back into us, right? Well, there you go. Yeah, just just come to me, John. I'll remember all these things for you. <laughs> it's all good. But yeah, 10 years, and it's just the two of us this week as well, which is uh, ironic, or maybe faithful that the two of us yeah, are maybe. on this episode after 10 years. Maybe. It's kind of cool. Kind yeah, of cool. Anyway, much. let's get into our discussion about Wheel of Time. Enough of looking back at the past. Let's just look back one day to when this episode was released. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for The Wheel of Time, Season 2, Episode 5, The Man? Sure. Perrin and Hopper leave Elias to save his pack, Loyal and the Shinarans. But on the way, Perrin is directed by Hopper to the town Outen Mill, where they were previously attacked by the Sentient forces. As he looks to find Uno to bury him, he meets an Aeel woman, Avienda, and a man named Dane, who warns him off going near the Aeel. Perrin soon discovers that the town has been reclaimed from the Sentient by the White Cloaks, led by Dane, Bornhold, and Eamon Valder. Perrin decides to leave and en route releases Avienda from her cage, but as they make their escape are surrounded by white cloaks led by Dane. In the ensuing fight, Avienda shows her fighting prowess, but is forced to spur Bornhold's life by Perrin. As they make their way to Found to save Loyal, Avienda pledges to help him rescue the others. Meanwhile, Lady Seroth is demoted for disobeying the orders of the Sension High Commander Turak, but Ishmael gains his favour by delivering him the Horn of Valer, a great weapon that will ensure victory for the Sension. As Ishmael and Saroth plot, he sends her out to receive his gifts of Nynaeve, Egwene and Elaine from Leandrin. It becomes clear that Ishmael intends to use them to gain further favour in the Sension court, as they are destined to become the Deman. As the novices are handed over and Leandrin leaves, 
Elaine and Nynaeve manage to escape and are rescued from capture by Rima and Aes Sedai hiding in Falm. Egwene is leashed and presented to Tarak by Saroth, who collars her, binding her to a Sul'dan. At Tarvalon, Varian arrives at the White Tower and, working with Yassica, investigates the disappearance of the three novice girls, which draws suspicion on Leandrin's cover story and leads Varian to evidence of the existence of the Black Arja at Tarvalon, a Sedai sworn to the dark. Mm-hmm. Elsewhere, Rand and Moraine escape Lamphere, fling back to Karain, and are taken in with Anavere and her son, Barthanis who is delighted to have his auntie back after 20 years, but Moraine's intention is to put a distance between themselves and Lenfear, realising the danger that she has put her family in, until Anavere gives her sister some of Moraine's own advice that she once gave her. Moraine decides to stay at House Damadred and have Rand enter Talanriod, the Realm of Dreams, where he might be able to learn what Ishmael is planning. Upon entering... Rand finds himself immediately captured by a waiting Lanfear. And it only took one week to get shirtless Rand tied to a wheel, John. That's what you asked for last week, didn't it? It was. <laughs> the wheel weaves as the wheel wills. It certainly does. It certainly does. It's like as if they're listening to our episodes and uh, <laughs> come back. Because I had a complaint last week, didn't I? The only complaint I've really had this season so far about the fact that up on the on the subtitles on the screen, it came up and just said Old Tongue when Ishmael was doing his uh, his weave to get Lanfear free. Yes, and also what Lanfear is probably going to use on uh, Randall Thor. Well, yeah, thousands-year-old tongue. Um, but on this week's episode, I do want to compliment Prime Video because they did translate all of the old tongue uh, in this episode. So yes. we, we had a scene where uh, Lanfear and Ishmael are talking in old tongue and it is all translated. So well done. Uh, maybe if I go back and look at episode four, that section will be translated. But uh, bugbear sorted in a week. Yes, good yeah, stuff. There you go. So two corrections on last week's episode. Let's get into our top spokes of the wheel for this episode. Spoke number one, Parents Pack. Yes. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed, um, and I've really enjoyed the time spent with Parent so far Me too. in this season. Yep. Uh, I really like the arc um, of, of his story. I mean, I loved it from the books as well. Uh, I, I loved Matt's as well, and I, it was interesting to see that Matt didn't appear Again. Uh, in uh, this episode, but yep. I guess he is also... Uh, making his way to Falm, which mm-hmm. is suddenly becoming the epicenter for events uh, that will uh, transpire uh, in this season. Well, yeah, we hear from Ishmael that that's where the final battle will take place. Yes. It's written in the skies over Falm, yes. is, is his description of it. In so, common heads, yeah, yes. So it looks like everybody's going to be uh, converging on Falm. I guess so, mm-hmm. um, including the white cloaks that yes. we see here as well, uh, as Perrin uh, looks to go and rescue Loyal and the Shinarans mm. that have been captured and sent to Falm. Yeah. Um, I thought it was really interesting the discussion with him and, uh, and Elias, um, where Elias effectively has been leading him a merry dance, telling him he's going off to save Loyal. In fact, I don't know, I don't know whether he committed to that or whether Perrin just thought that's what they were doing, but it turns out they were, uh, turning all the way around and going back to the town that was attacked by the Shanshan, um, and where they were taking from. And he's suddenly kind of going, hang on a second. I thought, this whole thing was about um, the two of us going and saving uh, my my friends and Elias telling him, well, they're not your pack. Your pack is now these wolves that are surrounded yeah, by Yeah, and, and me, effectively. Yeah. And but as Perrin turns on him, so does the entire pack, pretty much. They all yeah. back up Elias, so they're not his pack yet. 
No, absolutely. And with the exception, I would suspect, of... Uh, old cute hopper little cute hopper yeah it's kind of cool that we're covering ahsoka that has little cute chopper and uh, and wheel of time that has little cute hopper in exactly it. Yeah. but i think it's yeah it, it's interesting that perrin kind of rejects um elias's notion here you know effectively that you are going to become more and more wolf brother and mm-hmm. that means leaving humanity civilization behind yes. you know they have that little conversation about well do you miss anything from mm-hmm. uh, your past life to elias so i i think that's really kind of um interesting that mm-hmm. ultimately you know perrin rejects elias's um sort of want really or, or what he feels Perrin is going to do, yeah. which is become, you know, deeply embedded within this pack, um, as a wolf brother. Yeah. It's not to say that Perrin's journey isn't going to be becoming a wolf brother, mm-hmm. but it, it's the fact that he definitively calls out his pack, which are his mates from the two rivers. Exactly. And it's interesting because you do have that moment, uh, with the conversation between Ishmael and Lamphere, oh, yes. where he talks about, you know, Matt is naturally mine. I love that he's yeah. he's born mine. He doesn't yeah. have to do anything to Matt. He doesn't have to change him over to the dark side. He's already yeah, a dark friend, exactly. even though he doesn't know it. It's kind of the way that it seems like for Ishmael. It, it does. And but then he says, and Perrin will become more wolf mm-hmm. um that than human effectively. Yeah. So we don't need to worry about him. But here, in a sense, this is um, you know, as a Taviran that shapes the, the weave of, of the wheel, mm-hmm. then, you know, here is actually Perrin sort of standing against that notion that he will just simply be, uh, dictated as a wolf brother yes. by removing himself from his friends mm-hmm. who are human. So it's kind of an interesting little, uh, not just a rejection of Elias here. But in a sense, putting a spoke into the wheel of exactly. what Ishmael like assumes will happen. I like it. Um, yeah. And I, I really like that mm. um, as yeah, well. Yeah, it's, it's just one of those things that, you know, you get a lot from um, these books, or at least so far I've gotten a lot from these books and, and what's being translated here to the screen, that while there are prophecies and while there are destinies for for characters called out in a lot of fantasy books here in the wheel of time it seems to be people are being told what their destinies are and they're rejecting those destinies they're they're rejecting the absolute definitive path for the way that they should live and we have this again here with Perrin where he's saying I don't have to live like that my I already have a pack if I can add to that pack with this group of wolves and with with Elias, exactly. fine. But I'm not rejecting my old friends because you're telling me I have to. And there's a slight hint at that as well, back with Lamphere and Ishmael's conversation, where the, he asks about the Dragon Reborn. What mm-hmm. is he like? That he is rejecting what people feel he should become. Yeah, you know, he he is more kind of standoffish from that. Exactly. Again, so yeah. it is this bond between these. Taveran from the two rivers that um, has the potential to weave the wheel differently from the prophecies that ultimately the Forsaken are going off. Well, exactly. And and he also mentions uh, Nynaeve and uh, Egwene, that um, one wants more power and one's trying to reject the power that they have. So again... This is all uh, all coming through the conversation. I thought that was actually a really good conversation. I would have put it in as a point on its own if we didn't have enough points to talk about the episode. But I did really like that conversation where they lay out exactly his opinions of these kids. Yeah. It felt really intimate almost when he's yeah. talking about them. You know, the fact that he's calling them by their first names and saying Matt's already mine. It's like 
he is already he is already in their dreams. He's already infested these five these five uh, people from the two rivers. These five kids from the two rivers. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, so really th- this is really good, and mm. we come back to Outen Mill. Um, oh, yes, and here we get you know a new meeting with between Perrin and Avienda, uh, an ale warrior who has been captured and uh, caged. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, ultimately, he's back there to effectively release Uno from a cage who's dead and bury him. Yes. Uh, because Hopper has shown him this. And, you know, it, it speaks to Perrin's character. He doesn't want to sort of leave Uno behind as well, exactly. even if it is just simply to bury him. So he gets that proper burial like yeah. we saw previously en route where the Shinarans, even though it was a dark friend, buried that Shinaran, you know, so mm. in a sense he's he's picked up on what the leader of the Shinaran said to him in that moment. Yeah. But also we have here Perrin, you know, uncomfortably reconnecting with the White Cloak. Yes. So from season one he is tortured by Child Valder. Yes. Um and is seen to be this um you know, he's this monster. It's it's the rejection of the religion of mm you know, personified that the white cloaks hold dear, particularly the questioners. Um, Because, I mean, that's the other thing here. You see, uh, we're also uh, introduced to Dian Bornhold. Yes. And, again, there's that difference there between Mm -hmm. um, Bornhold and Valda here. I mean, even that Dian Bornhold is camouflage you know he's hiding his mm-hmm. white cloaks it's only from uh a different kind of wolf that comes out uh i guess some kind of poodle i don't know <laughs> uh, that helps uh perrin to discover that yeah. actually the white cloaks are present now because they have t- they have forced the sension uh out of that village yeah they, they couldn't hold the village so uh so the white cloaks took over um I know you're saying it was camouflage, but I was almost going, oh, that's how they keep the white clothes clean as they travel through well, all these true, dirty yeah. towns and dirty, uh, dirty forests, uh, across the land. Um, but it is really interesting. I have to say there were moments with, uh, Dion Bornhold, even though he's the one that, um, that is leading the, the group that tries to take down Avianda and, uh, and Perrin. There's moments when, when I'm just kind of going, Oh, maybe he'll become an ally for Perrin in the future or for the Possibly, team from yeah. the two rivers. Cause he does seem to reject the ideas of Valda and Valda is telling him effectively the only reason, reason he has some respect is because of his father's name. And there will, there will come a point that that won't give him the respect within the white cloaks. Uh, good to see the white cloaks back here anyway because they were such big antagonists throughout the first season and they there's just something about them that feels um well it's puritanical isn't it it's almost yeah. spanish inquisition level exactly and that's why valdara took exception to um the the form of perrin and what he was because mm. you know it's like we have to have only purity exactly as it's it, it, like it's really fanatical in that sense and yeah. it's a great kind of thing to have here because yeah. that also like you say you know you see that the white cloaks have you know these different factions exactly. anyway but also different views and so um 
this was quite good being introduced to um, Dean Bornholz, like mm-hmm. his father is much higher up in the White Cloaks. Oh, right. Um, okay. cool. And that's why, uh, yes, Valdara, in a sense, is tiptoeing around. I, I guess he would be me, uh, much more strict and, and discipline him yeah. uh, than uh, he would otherwise. Mm-hmm. But as well, again, there is that sense here that the White Cloaks are on a campaign to uh, deal with the Sension. I mean, we do hear um, the the Lord Commander of the Sension admonishing, and we'll get to that, um, mm-hmm. you know, later on in the podcast, but admonishing Lady Seroth because she overextended yes. uh, their reach in, in terms of their own sort of military campaign to yeah. sort of reclaim lands. So yeah. um, you you have the sense that, yes, Tom and Head Falm, uh, are becoming uh, the epicenter uh, of of this season. Absolutely. Um, one other thing we need to talk about within Parents Pack is Aviander herself, um, the introduction of this Aeol character. And I'm laughing because I think last episode I was kind of going, what's the Aeol again? Just just tell me the details of it. And we were talking about um, Ran's mother being an Aeol and that flashback to her in, in the battle showing how great a warrior she is. And then next episode, here they are, introducing an Aeol, showing you how powerful she is as a warrior. So I didn't need to ask you guys. I should have just waited an episode, basically. But thanks for the explanation last, last yeah, week. It did, I, it did I help out. absolutely love this fight. Uh, cool. Like, the ale are just fantastic. I yes. really enjoy these characters. There's one move that I just absolutely love at the opening of this fight when Perrin stands in front <laughs> of the newly released Evianda and she just looks at him going... You're not going to protect me. Well, I might w- protect you, or we can fight side by side. You are not going to be standing in front of me. Well, she, she laughs. <laughs> exactly. Like, I love it. She yeah. she laughs as she kind of then barges herself to be on a level with Perrin, mm-hmm. um, and then comes out with great, just the great line that I started off the podcast with, uh-huh. do you like to dance? Absolutely. And she does feel that Perrin is a pretty good dancer Absolutely. by the end of it. Um, do you know and, what? If this was Strictly yeah. Come Dancing, I might actually watch that show. <laughs> yeah, this was the type of dance hilarious. they do. <laughs> it's a very cool fight and, and really well uh, put together to show off the style of uh, of her as an Aeel. Um, love that she's breaking arms as she goes. Because often in these types of staged battles that you see on TV shows, you see them punch people in the face, they fall over, and then that's the end of them in the fight. But here, quite definitively, she's taking and breaking people's arms so that they can't pick up their weapon and come yeah, back exactly. at her. So it gives it... it gives is a definitive end to that particular person in the fight and i think that's important when you're showing the power of a character like this and introducing them so uh, i thought that was really cool um and indeed like you say then will perrin's mercy where he stops her from killing uh dian bornhald um will that play out how will that play out mm-hmm. later uh, in the in the season because yeah, yeah it, it looks to be a fairly important point here and mm-hmm. um, that this character is saved and yeah. so yeah. yeah and ultimately then we see uh, Avienda pledging herself to sort of you know repay this uh, this kindness that has been done by Perrin to release her like yeah. as she says um you know really kind of what's your game uh, a wetlander put me in a cage and yep. a wetlander has now released me from this cage so Absolutely. what's going on but as you say it's kind of a nice idea that she's kind of become part of his pack exactly. and is pledging herself to help 
uh, go and uh, rescue Loyal and the Shinarans. Yes, pledging her sword to him, uh, which I which I do like. Uh, another thing I do like about this is because Perrin's only really seen this with the Aes Sedai and their and their warders. Um, that's his instant impression of what the offer is here from Evianda. He's kind of going, "Does that mean we have to have sex? Is that is that the way we seal the deal on this or something?" Yeah. And she plays with them on that, of course. Uh, she's like, "I would, you know, I wouldn't say no, like, but we don't have to." Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, and and she also, you know, she does mention that they're searching for um their ale chief mm-hmm. uh, Karakara, and um, yes. so the chief of chiefs, yeah, yes, chief of chiefs. Mm. Uh, so that would be important to see what that becomes. Absolutely, as well, absolutely, uh, good stuff. Um, in that opening point, I really do like Parrot's story in this episode. One tiny thing that we didn't mention, and I think it, it was the turning point in that argument between Perrin and Elias, is he he not only says the friends from Two Terrors were not your pack, he says your wife also yeah. was not your pack. And I think that's the moment when Perrin just broke. He kind of goes, he's very sensitive, obviously, about what happened with his wife. Remember that that story of it is that he killed his wife. Um And he feels responsible for, for that yeah. and, and carries that weight of guilt on him. So... That's almost like Elias twisting the knife with him. So, Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. Will we go on to our second spoke of the wheel, John? Yes, because um, this is Leandrin's pledge to the dark. Mm. Um, and I guess it connects in with the first spoke in the sense that little does Perrin realize that Leandrin is taking Nynaeve, Egwene, and Elaine through the, the ways mm-hmm. to Falm uh, as well. So, yeah. um, yes, little Perrin's going to get a bit of a, a surprise when he also probably uh, bumps into and sees Nynaeve and Egwene, uh, also. I in, think so. In, in Falm. Yeah. It, it's really hard, isn't it? Because Leandrin told them that the, that they had to go to Falm to save Loyal and, uh, and Perrin and their friends. Um, that's how she got them to leave um, the White Tower. Yeah. And then it turns out that she's bringing them to the, the Shang-Chan um, as a gift for their leader and is bringing them to Falm, where Loyal is. So weirdly, underneath the plot that was there with Leandrin, she actually had pieces of it that were the truth, which yeah. I thought was quite quite odd. Um you know, she wasn't transporting them through the ways to a completely different side of the world. She was actually bringing them towards Falm, where her friends are. So I just thought it was a, a bit of an odd twist on on Leandrin. She, again, last week we were going, definitely, definitively, she's working for the Dark One. That is her goal. Um, She's working for Ishmael. Ishmael is working with the Shan Shan. And here in this episode, a couple of things that happen certainly change uh, what Leandrin's trying to do here. But again, she's not just this black and white character. She's not just this definitively evil character. She brings them through, has this discussion with Lady Sarath about how they treat uh, people who can wield, people who can um, who can access the one power, and that seems to twist Leandrin again on her um, loyalties to Ishmael because she frees. Nynaeve before leaving. She cuts Nynaeve yeah. free, she allows her to get away. weave yeah. uh, to cut the, the binds and that's, held, that's holding Nynaeve. Yeah. And assuming like, because she is the most powerful yeah. that something will happen. Exactly. Uh, she even says yeah. maybe she'll kill Lady Sheriff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think what's really good about the Dark Friends is that all their own motivations are here at play. I mean, mm-hmm. even you see the Lady Sroth and Ishmael, not... But, wholly harmonious alliance they have yeah. that 
that moment where she really confronts him to say, you need my army, you're mm-hmm. here at my invitation. And it was your plan to go to the village, and I'm taking all the blame. Yeah. I've lost some of my power because I did what you asked me to do. Exactly, yeah. and and in the same way that with Leandrin here, I, I think what's really fantastic about Leandrin, and you see it in the ways where, and you have that great conversation between her and Nynaeve, um, where she effectively talks about how the Aesidae, with all these rules and the rules that she has broken mm-hmm. here by using the One Power against the the three novices um, and, well, against Egwene, Nynaeve, and uh, Elaine, mm-hmm. is it, because the humanity of um, the Aesidae unnerved a king many years ago, mm-hmm. and all these rules make them predictable and less of a threat. Absolutely. Um, and she kind of, in, in a sense, her possibly her journey to the dark is because she doesn't like that. I mean, she is a, a red Aja after all, or mm-hmm. has been fronting that. So yeah. she's not, she doesn't take a warder. You know, her, the, the perception is the relationship with men is difficult Absolutely. with red Aja. So, I like the fact well, they don't that don't need know, men is, is the way that she's yeah, explained it before. Yeah. yeah. Like in, in the ways here, you know, she, Leandrin tries to justify, um, these actions, you know, of recruiting Nynaeve for the dark rather than for the reds. And mm-hmm. um, as she says, you know, everyone has a price. Yeah. In her case, it's likely to be her boy. Yeah. Um, and I love, I mean, I loved Nynaeve saying, sitting in the dark trying to justify yourself to mm-hmm. a woman in the dark who you've kidnapped yes you know yeah. it's just this like pushback mm-hmm. that you can't justify this yeah and um, i and as Nynaeve says you know i will die before i join the dark so yeah that stubbornness of Nynaeve Absolutely. as a wisdom, yeah. whether Leandrin has underestimated that in the same way that Ishmael um, has, is just really, really good. But yeah. like you say, then Leandrin does the sneaky weave. Mm-hmm. And I just like all that chaos. Exactly. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the weave is probably going all over the place. Yeah. And, and actually, the Taveran here in the form of Nynaeve, they are messing with that weave, Mm -hmm. which everyone is assuming will play out like the prophecies uh, and the, the ancient manuscripts and so on. So it's, it's really good. You kind of really get that sense here uh, in this episode. Yeah. So it's so fascinating. And you know, if there's one thing that Lady Surath shouldn't have said to Leandrin is that we color people and make sure they have the right training in order to use the one power, I'm looking forward to putting the collar on you myself. You know, that's instantly the end. It's oh, kind yeah. of like, hang on a second, screw you. <laughs> you well, she has a great kind uh, of bottom lip kind of sort of movement there mm. as she's kind of trying to internalize her anger Absolutely. Uh, at that comment. So it was really good. And, yeah. But ultimately, Nynaeve and Egwene and Elaine now will become... You know, the intention here is that they will be gifts for yes. the set Shen Shan, um, in order for them to become Daman, effectively. The, and those are the colored. They are the colored channelers who yes. can channel the one power. Yeah. Um, that the, and they have, um, 
they have a Sul'dan who control them effectively mm. and tether them through the one power yes. as well as through a chain. Yeah, and so, what we see, we, we saw that last season when they arrived because we saw the uh, the chained ones were the ones that were controlling the wind, driving the ships of the Shanchan to uh, to this world. Um, here we see it happen because uh, we obviously mentioned it already, but uh, Nynaeve and Elaine get away. Uh, Egwene doesn't, but she is collared in front of uh, Turok, the Lord, High Lord Commander of the Shang yes. Chan. Uh, and that collaring was really well done. Absolutely. It felt like a real power being used to have her under the control of this Soldan who now holds the reins on her. You know, it's almost like when she pushes her down and the whole collar is created across her across her body. Um, she then attaches a leash, a leash to her, like as if she's some kind of dog. Um, it's a really uh, powerful moment for Egwene, another very powerful character in this it, show. It is, and it, it's actually really, really important. It'll be interesting to see how the show sort of captures this, because for me, in the books, you mm-hmm. get the sense of this dehumanizing mm. of. I think it is. It's Egwene and Elaine that are actually collared in in the books. But Egwene in particular, you really, really get the sense of how dehumanized she is, Mm. how tortured and abused she is through this um, collaring and tethering, effectively, uh, to the Sul'dan and how they treat them. You know, it's tantamount to slavery yeah. so yeah. um it's really brutal for her and it leaves a huge impression on Egwene right um uh, and what she she does um so I'll be really interested to see that and I, I think in the moment where she is being collared and the collar is expanding mm-hmm. and the the one power connection being established with yeah. with her Sultan you know you sense the agony and the pain absolutely uh, that goes through that uh, and that they can inflict on them to do what they want and mm-hmm. um, the Sultan yeah. uh, on their demand so it it's it'll be really interesting to see that and yeah. i mean the other interesting thing here as well then is you have Nynaeve and Elaine staying here in order to rescue uh, Egwene. Yep. That's the intention. I like how the dynamic here, just briefly, um, you know, as they're going through Falm, with Elaine actually the one talking sense, the one yeah. that's kind of, she's the one that's taken the breath to understand what they need to do. And yet Nynaeve is still, you know, treating her as this princess where yeah. she says, Oh, are these not elaborate enough? The, these kind of blankets that they've got on. Yeah. And it's like, no, we need to be even more toned down. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to get off the streets. We need to be undercover because, you know, we're going to be, uh, they're going to have search parties yeah. out for her, which we find out that they, that Lady Sroth has issued that order to exactly. search for them. And, um, we do see that that's the stubbornness of Nynaeve. Like, exactly, you know, again, exactly. Coming but back. I just liked how it played out yeah. here where actually Elaine is the one speaking sense, mm-hmm. but Nynaeve's prejudices of Elaine yeah. are still just flowing out and she she has almost no awareness of 
the danger that they're in. Absolutely. Um, and she, ma- al- she also doesn't know Elaine, in fairness to her. No. Uh, Nynaeve has had no real connection with her just through Egwene becoming friends with her. Um, but she doesn't particularly trust her. She just has that surface level view of who Elaine is. Um, but yes, they are rescued by uh, the warder and the Aes Sedai um, who, are, who are there and take them in. Uh, Rima, I think, is the, is the Aes Sedai, yellow yeah. Aes Sedai. Yes. And they're telling them they need to be in full cover here because they're being they're being watched at every uh, everywhere they yeah. go um, and they will be captured yeah definitely yeah. so uh, this is this was really good mm-hmm. i also like the bit as well with ishmael where he you know he's draw he's been um been noticed by uh, the high lord commander Ooh, yes and you know he's asking these questions while well, you're not of the blood mm-hmm. where have you come from you've risen very quickly within the court around lady seroth yes um but his his gift uh, to him of the horn of of Valer mm-hmm. is significant, and as he says, you have gained my notice now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have you have one question to ask of me, of which, in a sense, he's trying to rehabilitate Lady Seroth in yeah. front of him by bringing uh, Egwene here as this very powerful Aes Sedai, mm-hmm. even though she's a novice, and um, as this gift uh, for him. So yeah. another. Uh, gift being done here and his ask here of Turok is that he accepts the gift in its meaning takes it from Lady Sorath as well so trying to get her back into the good graces that she had because yeah. even after arriving with the horn um, because they went out and took the village she gets uh, punished for it uh, as we as we mentioned yeah, earlier her on. long nails uh, sliced off so yeah. Yeah, I guess a pedicure from hell. Well, absolutely. Um, Lady Seroth. Yeah, and the, there's kind of the call out that she has to return to her uh, lodgings until she's presentable again. And I was trying to think in my head, does that mean that she has to wait until her nails grow back out again or not? Is that what presentable means? Um, but in this case, it looks like Ishmael has done his work here to get her back into yeah. that position of grace by bringing in someone so powerful as Gwen here. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, yeah. So I, yeah. I thought this was this was really good. You mm-hmm. know, a lot of the machinations going on here, a, a lot of the shifting sands as well around. Absolutely. Um, I guess allegiances that have happened mm. um, to the dark, but also within, um, you know, also from by the dark friends um, in you know that are in the session. Yes, and speaking of that, there's an interesting moment I thought from the High Lord Commander where he lays out what their plan is in coming to this land. He says that they are there to unite the people of this land together yeah. to be the leaders of them against the darkness, which I thought was really unusual because it, it, it seems like since they're working with Eshamayel, even though he's not a leader here, I thought that they were working with the darkness. Am I so, wrong here? No, I, so I think it's that the, 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 the dark friends have infiltrated, you know, every different layer uh, of society good, of here. Yeah. Um, and of course, Turok is not the leader here. There is the Empress um, mm-hmm. as well that is... On the other side of the ocean. Yes, he's um, just the High Lord Commander of yeah. this group. And I guess. Uh, so you know, so he's obeying the orders mm. of the Empress of the yeah. the Shenshan. And but they're so, not aligned to the Dark One. No. Okay. And I like I, I I can't quite remember. Chris may know more, but you know, I think it and the the stuff that relates to the historical figure of Arthur Hawkwing as well. I think. But okay, I just. 
that's not really been introduced yet. And mm-hmm. I know there's various mentions of this, this historical figure from this world, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, how he impacts in particular, like commoners. And, and, you know, I think it relates to the old blood phrases that are being used okay. here around, um, you know, that they, they kind of see themselves as original inhabitants. Yes. And that's part of the reason why they're looking to sort of, uh, bring this world under one banner rather than this splintered, mm-hmm. uh, senses of power that you, you have in the world. I get you. And the, the white cloaks are saying they're going to come here to found to push them back out into the ocean, uh, uh from whence they came effectively. Yeah. Well, again, so, it, yeah. it's like they are, you know, manifesting unpure aspects, I guess, for the white cloaks. Mm-hmm. Well, in fairness, they're coming in and murdering people in their villages, yeah. uh, unless they uh, they swear fealty to them and and bow the knee to them. And the white cloaks probably think that uh, people should be bowing the knee to them and their uh, and their religious order, I guess. Yeah. So, uh, interesting stuff uh, here in uh, in Falm. And as we say, this seems like where it's setting up. The end of the season is going as everybody uh, converges there. One thing I thought was a bit odd, though, um, we do see Loyal in the background quite a lot here uh, as he's being held captive there. But since that's kind of the focus of so many people is going to save Loyal, I kind of expected, like, a line from him or something. Yeah, like, you, know. you would think he would be caged or something, but I think it's more of a a prized possession. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because he is an Ogier. Um, yeah. it, it, it's almost a trophy and, and one that they respect yeah. and, and won't chain or or cage but yeah. and um and ultimately f- he is under house arrest effectively yeah. and i also feel i might have been wrong about ingtar being a uh, a dark friend because he's just trapped in the same way as loyal is here so yeah maybe i was wrong about that earlier on in the although season. very well dressed they are very well dressed. again similarly i mean they call him a, a shinaran lord mm-hmm. so you know he's kind of been extended that courtesy. rank and right. courtesy you right. know Interesting, interesting. Uh, I think that's it for Falm for this episode. Obviously, lots more to come in the future episodes of Falm, I'd say. Uh, let's go on to probably one of my favorite points uh, from the episode. Spoke yes. number three. Spoke number three. Mm. Rand and Moraine can't get no sleep. Yes. It, <laughs> I, I like that you called this point the red eye flight. It is. So. It is the red eye flight. <laughs> yeah. um, they are not able to go to sleep uh, after fleeing from Lamphia, who mm-hmm. recovers uh, very quickly. She does. I do really feel sorry here for the collateral damage uh, mm. and, you know, those casualties of war, uh, including the horse uh, well, that, that are, are kills horse by Moraine, which Lanfear does call out as very smart. Mm-hmm. And, and But unfortunately, it leads to the next casualty and collateral damage here as... Uh, the Milady chap uh, has his head exploded by Lanfear, and then she's like, is there anything slower than a horse? <laughs> uh, uh, you know, she has to sort of gallop uh-huh. after Rand and Moraine. Yeah. Very, another very smart remove here from Moraine gets the, uh, gets the other stable, um, owner to, uh, to <laughs> get the horses riding as fast as possible to Tarvalon, but she's, uh, takes care of her horses too well. And Lanfear catches up with her. Yes. Uh, which leads to uh, another pretty brutal uh, move from Lanfear as she ties her lips yeah, together. Stitches up her mouth. Mm. Um, so she won't speak of this moment. Absolutely. Uh, which is part of the strategy that the poor stable hand is trying to do to stay alive. She goes, I won't say anything of this. She's mm. like, no, you no, won't. You won't. As then her mouth 
as her lips kind of bind together yeah. so she'll never speak again. Yeah, so it was really brutal. But I did kind of like this flight uh, going on and the exposition coming around, you know, coming sort of being told around this by Moraine to Rand, you know, so he, he finally understands that the eye of the world, it was actually he mm. released Ishmael rather than destroying him and that now he is beginning a process at least started with Lanfear of re- releasing uh, all the other Forsaken, which, mm-hmm. you know, Moraine does say, if all of them are released, there is no hope in the last battle, which here in this episode, um, we do get that called out as Taman Gaiden as well, uh, the name for the last battle. Okay. All right. I think I missed that one. Uh, <laughs> what I did hear in this episode was Lanfear calling out who all of the rest of the Forsaken yes, are. Yes, that was pretty um, cool. So we hear about at least uh, two more because we get them named and we hear about the boys as well uh, who don't get named. But uh, that seems like about six or seven. Yeah, um, it seems forsaken. like that. Yeah, we yeah. get uh, Mogdian, um, who apparently is insane, mm-hmm. and... Griandal, uh, who is a vain idiot. Mm-hmm. And then there is mention of the boys. And I have to say, I think at the moment in the books, I haven't come across the other two okay. and I've not heard of the boys as to whether they are also uh, part of the Forsaken or whether she was referring to the other two, Margaret and, and uh, Griandal. Okay. Um, I just didn't know. So I'm I, not th- I thought sure. she was referring to others. And it made me think the way she was referring to them, that they've already been freed as well, that they're somewhere out there in uh, in the ether waiting yeah, to maybe. take their, uh, their opportunity. Well, you of- think that um, Ishmael would kind of make sure he has, you know, his forsaken, the other forsaken around to sort mm-hmm. of help his chances. Although we do get that really nice moment again in that conversation as Lanfear is coming into uh, Ishmael's dreams mm-hmm. where he goes, so are you going to betray me? And she's like, obviously. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> um, so there is that, um, again, the, the, the different motivations of the Forsaken. Exactly. And how some of them marry up, some of them yeah. don't. Um, well, absolutely. That's this whole point, really. That's what this is all about. Yeah. Um, we find out the motivation of uh, Lanfear was that she lost the dragon reborn before um they they met they were together when he broke her heart she dedicated herself to the dark one so that she could get the dragon reborn um for back for herself yes and as he's gone rand is now the next best thing rand is the new dragon reborn so he is the dragon reborn yeah like so yes and and this plays into moraine's um and you know coming out of that conversation with her sister so Again, mm, I really, scene. really enjoyed that. I think mm. um Anavir is is superb. I mm-hmm. like I loved how this conversation complete opposite to the one from the previous episode. Yes. Almost. Yeah. It, it it's like the mending of that wound where mm-hmm. um it's actually again her sister, not an Aes Sedai, is is basically saying, you know, you once told me if I was scared, if, if it, the idea of monsters, you know, as a young girl, that I was to ask the question, you know, is it true? Mm-hmm. And she says, you know, can you know beyond any doubt that Rand needs your protection? I love that. Um, yeah. and think it, about a problem from a different way and maybe the problem isn't as bad as you think exactly. it is. Exactly. Yeah. And I just like the fact that, you know, she's helping uh, Moraine to clean her back with all the blood from mm. attacking Lanfear. Yeah. Um, and... 
you know, but even you get the honesty, you know, from Moraine, um, like she's she's in tears ultimately, yeah. uh, because when asked the question, you know, who is this boy? You know, what's this all about? She effectively says he needs my protection, mm-hmm. and I'm really sorry because I've put this family in great danger by coming back because of who is pursuing Absolutely. us. And, and not even the, just the family. She says, my family and this whole place, the entire yeah, city that exactly. they're in could be in damage. But, but again, yeah. it, it, her sister and of, uh, I, I just, it's just how the whole scene is acted. It's really powerful. I mm-hmm. thought as she goes, you know, whatever danger you've unleashed or encouraged, it means the world to Bothanis, um, that you've returned mm-hmm. this this kind of human connection of an auntie and a nephew and um, i just thought was really really cool and mm-hmm. i just thought it, it it was just done so well that almost you know i know you've put us in danger and in the last episode i was actually telling you i don't want you to jeopardize anything Absolutely. of uh bethanus's marriage to the the queen mm-hmm. And you've done that, but despite all that, I'm happy that my son is happy that you're back. Yeah, yeah. And because he really cares for you, absolutely. You know, and he hasn't the seen you since you were a kid. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I really like this moment that it gave, as you say, Moraine, that other angle to think on the problem. Yeah, yeah. It's good advice for for anybody really if you're going through any problems. Have a have a sit back and have a think about it and see if the problem really exists. Because sometimes we uh, we build up problems for ourselves that uh, that are actually easily solvable yeah. if we just think about them in a different way. Uh, I do also think that the maybe I'm misreading the situation, but I do think that her nephew created a little connection with Rand there as well. He seemed quite happy uh, that Rand had joined them. And we hear that his marriage may not be for love, that his marriage is for status. um, And that is all that really matters to his mom. Yes. (laughs) No, exactly. Exactly. Well, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, just on both of those things, because what happened in the last episode does bleed a little into, into this episode where Anavia, you know, when Moraine comes and, uh, Bothanis is really pleased to, you know, see her and he says, you're s- still the same as I, as I remembered. Mm-hmm. Um, and Anavia just goes, if a little bedraggled, because <laughs> she looks like she's being dragged through a hedge backwards. <laughs> well, like that. Yeah. It was really good. Yeah. And even, totally just, sisters. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> even just before sort of that lovely sisterly conversation between mm. the two, she says, you know, you seem lost despite your bluster. You know, mm-hmm. she's calling out, I guess her BS in a bit. Absolutely. You know? Um, but, uh, well, it, it's interesting. Maybe there is a connection because the last time we saw the actor who plays Barth Annis, uh-huh. um, he was, um, ultimately a pair of buttocks in Game of Thrones, uh, as he was, uh, bedding Loras Tyrrell, uh, the knight of the flowers. In Game of Thrones. Yes, in oh, Game of Thrones. So, you never know. Maybe. Um, <laughs> Doesn't necessarily have to only play gay characters. No, of course, exactly. But I just thought there was a little connection there around. Everybody wants well, around. Even Ishmael had him in his bed uh, for a minute. Uh, well, even, that is even true. though it was Lanfear that was pretending to be Rand. But uh, for, for a minute there, I was kind of going, hey, on a second. Ishmael has, has really taken a shine to Rand, hasn't he? Yeah. Well, <laughs> and even even Lanfear, I guess, you know, I guess mm. maybe all her, her plans uh, in terms of infecting his, his dream world mm-hmm. may have been thrown out the window as soon as she 
she she saw the abs. Like, Absolutely. Uh, okay, we'll leave that till later. Um, well, well, that's the realization that Moraine comes to is that uh, they've spent over three months together, so she's had ample opportunity. If her intention was to kill Rand, she could have killed him at any time in the real world. Could have slit his throat and walked away if that was the plan. So yes. Rand doesn't need a protection. Rand has to play up that he is still in love with Lanfear, um, that he wants this relationship with her, and if he, if he does that, maybe he can be saved. Um, so do love that realization. And that's when he chooses, as she says, it is his choice. He chooses to go into his dreams and join Lanfear on that other plane. Well, that's, yeah, exactly. And I, I did like that, the kind of the two things that Lanfear is known for mm. is her casual cruelty, which we certainly see uh-huh. in, in this episode. Exploding heads and, and the, hide mines, yeah, yeah, exactly. And the mastery of the Terrandriod, uh, the mm. dream world. Mm. And so, yeah, there's going to be, um, I, I guess at least now, Moraine is going to be feeling really crusty, um, having to stay awake uh, mm-hmm. for for so long. Yeah, that really felt like a scene from Nightmare on Elm Street to me when uh, when Moraine's saying, "I'll stay awake, you fall asleep," and Rand goes, "But what if you fall asleep? You're exhausted." I was going, "Oh, Freddy's coming to get you." Yeah, well, interesting. <laughs> I'd love to know if part of Freddy Krueger was drawn from these books. Maybe you know, maybe as. You know, this idea of infecting the dream world. I mean, mm. I guess it's quite a long-standing yeah. uh, aspect in, in I guess, human civilization well, and absolutely. society. Absolutely. So, You know, um, I must admit, I don't even know when these books were written, the Robert Jordan books. I know my brother read them when he was a kid, and I know Chris read them when he was a kid. So there's my homework for next week. Uh, anything else on this final point, John, or any other uh, notes you want to bring in? Um, yeah, a few notes. One is just the horrendously bad hairdo that Barthanis <laughs> does have. Yeah, I have to call with that the out. wavy kind of cow's lick at the front and then the ponytail at the oh, back. I was just terrible. like, he looked better in Game of Thrones. Let's put it that yeah. way. It's um, almost as bad as that that one that all the uh, all the kids that play uh, football have, where they shave the side of their heads and have a mullet at the back. <laughs> Awful. It was it was pretty like, and I, I guess it did give him a, a, a sense of foppishness. I think yeah. in some respects, but you um, see it from the front and you're going, "That's bad," and then you see it from the side and see both that yeah. and the and the uh, the ponytail at the back and go this is the worst haircut possible exactly and the other thing was with lanfear as she wakes up from having being stabbed and um her throat slit by i did like the fact that she just went bitch Uh (laughs) Um, i thought that was really well done as well as she pulls all the blood back together and seals her wound in her neck i thought that was really cool uh use of the use of the cgi there very cool stuff yeah Yeah. definitely and i actually did like lanfear's sort of one worders in this were with the horse killed in the stables by Moraine, she just goes clever. Mm-hmm. And then when Rand finally goes to sleep and appears in the dream world of her making, she goes, finally, uh-huh. you know, finally fallen asleep. I, I did like her one word yes. here uh, throughout this, uh, throughout this episode excellent excellent i think that's us well covered on the fifth episode of wheel of time season two definitely yes so we have spoken john have what overall are your final thoughts on this episode did you enjoy it i absolutely really enjoyed this episode Mm -hmm. i gave this uh five ale dancers out of five um i just love the the patter of this episode Mm. you know the the chase um, of Moraine and Rand by Lanfear and 
starting to see the the dream world um uh, coming to life we did get a sense of that in season one um but i really liked how more elaborate um it was and and the how it was indistinguishable you know with um lamphia and ishmael mm-hmm. uh, even to the point that you know when he's woken up he is it he is almost taken aback yeah. um, because he's fallen for it, because he knows this is one of her, you know, specialties. Well, yeah, yeah. But um, he is able to manipulate it in the dream. She calls out how good he is because he's talking to her about the fact that she's in love with Rand and puts Rand back in the bed again. And she says, oh, you're getting good at manipulating the dream world. Yeah, basically. exactly. So, uh, yeah, I thought that was um, cool. So I, I really loved that. Um, again, I loved uh, the the conversation between Anavir and mm-hmm. Moraine. I think these two have just been fantastic in their scenes together. Yeah. As with Leandrin and Nynaeve, oh, again, so just so, so good. Yeah. The one thing we didn't mention is, is Varen returning to the tower mm-hmm. and sort of investigating um, the the disappearance of these novices, uh, but doesn't believe any of Leandrin's tale, even though it's really, really well crafted to the point where she's bringing back asparagus from where she was supposed to have been, <laughs> which is only available from that place yeah. at this time of year. Did you notice that Leandrin's hand was behind her cloak the whole time that she was talking before she opens her bag and shows the white asparagus? I was going, oh, I wonder if she weaving something to put that asparagus in her bag to give her the excuse. Yeah, and know? maybe she was because uh, Varen doesn't believe any of it. And yeah, um, yeah we, complete, we should have said this in our notes, but there is now, um, you know, the concern that there are black Arja That's in right. the White Tower, um, with uh, the investigation that Varen has been doing, uh, checking with the head of the novices, mm-hmm. uh, but also seeing that there was potentially a weave of compulsion, a, a dark mm-hmm. weave, uh, being used against another Aesidae, um, that mistress of the novices, uh, suggesting foul play with the sign-off that the three novices were going to Chameleon to um, Elaine's brother's sort of naming day. Yeah. Uh, so again, not you know that little kind of investigative element of it. So all of this and Perrin's, I just thought really good and getting some of the ale uh, into this world mm-hmm. um, as they track along with these with the Taveran as well. Absolutely. So, kind of cool to see Varen back in the in the White Terror. I don't know why we didn't mention all this stuff, because I we also know. got the introduction of Yasuka, played by Katie that Young, who fans of Harry Potter will know her as Cho Chang from uh, from that series as well. So uh, great to see her in here. The minute I heard her voice, it's been about almost 20 years yeah, since that series, the Man, minute I heard her it? voice, I was like, oh, Cho Chang. <laughs> yeah, but it was, this was an episode that was jam-packed with stuff, and that's why I'd give it five ale dancers out of five. Excellent, excellent. Totally what about yourself? It. Yeah, this, this was such a good episode. Really, really enjoyed it. it. You know, you mentioned it when we were watching the episode the second time, John, where you were kind of going, wow, this is almost an hour and ten minutes long. It's like a movie every single week. The production values on the show, let alone the writing and the acting and all the stuff that's going on, this really feels up to the quality of, like, Game of Thrones season four, season five. You know, it's up to that level for me, sitting, watching these episodes every week. I'm just transported to this world worried for the main characters wondering where the big battle is going to come in the future and the developments of 
everybody, you know, this, this idea that everybody is going against their destinies. Everybody has characterizations and motivations that drive them to who they, yeah. uh, who they align with. And they may not fully align, um, with who you think they align with. You know, there's loads of great machinations that I'm really, really enjoying in the show. And this episode exemplified that there was so much going on. Loved it. Really, really looking forward to this rest of this season, the next uh, three episodes of the season. But with that, let's go wet our whistle and head on over to the tavern, John. Yes. Fellow wheelies, fellow quizzes, it is the Wheel of Time Tavern Quiz. We are on episode five, so we do get question five for our tavern quiz. Mm -hmm. And here it is. What aspect of civilization does Elias Wolfbrother miss? Of course we were going to give that question. Of course you know we were. were. <laughs> it is a question from the episode being yes. asked. Uh, yeah. So, of course. And it links lovely to a tavern. It does. It does. It looks lovely to uh, <laughs> everything that TV podcast industries is about. <laughs> Do you want to give the question one more time, John? Absolutely. What aspect of civilization does Elias Wolfbrother miss? Fantastic. Question five of eight. Uh, put together the answers to all those questions. Email us at the end of the series with all the correct answers to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com and you could be in with a chance of getting your hands on some Wheel of Time goodies. Speaking of feedback, let's find out what our fellow wheelers have said about this episode. Yes, uh, we have some email feedback from Elias Von Doom. Uh, good <laughs> stuff, Victor Von Doom, yep. uh, with uh, presenting yourself as a wolf brother for yes. your feedback uh, for this podcast. Keeping up his name. Yes, yep. Elias Von Doom says, greeting wheelers. That was a harsh manicure. <laughs> poor yes, horses, poor Egwene. Mm. What exactly is Leandrin up to? Is she playing on both sides? Mm. I was not happy to see child Eamon Valder. I like the joke about no wolves here. I really hope he gets attacked again. <laughs> Abdul Salis plays his role very well. Mm -hmm. To me, the White Cloaks seem useless. Where is this huge army of theirs? Do they not know what is truly going on in the West? Mm. They also seem to have the same inner rivalries as the Aes Sedai. Mm -hmm. Avienda and Perrin make a great team. Hoping Moraine doesn't screw up her nephew's wedding plans. <laughs> the wheel weaves as the wheel wills. Elias Von Doom. Great stuff, Elias Von Doom, uh, for the feedback. Yep. Um, yes, you got that right. It was indeed a harsh manicure. I think mm. they called it a pedicure, which would, of course, mean her extended toenails would have been <laughs> chopped off. So, yes. They'd have a apologies. lot of difficulty moving around the world if, there, if it was those that, massive oh, yeah, nails on their feet. really <laughs> tough. Um, so, yes, uh, thanks for for bringing that into your feedback because mm -hmm. it is indeed a harsh manicure and um, yeah. i think you know in terms of leandrin what what is she up to is she uh, yeah. playing both sides and i think the same with the the rivalries within the white cloaks it's just everyone has their you know they're looking out for themselves in many respects I mean, mm -hmm. even the forsaken it is the there is shared aims and and motivations going on here but yeah. there are also their own personal ones yeah and uh it, it seems that that is you know that's the great complexity or or sort of the insertion of chaos within this and potentially yeah. means that the the dark friends the dark forces uh plan doesn't necessarily go the way they believe it will exactly. from uh, their prophecies and so on so yeah. it, it makes for a really interesting show it certainly does it certainly does um, on the army of the white cloaks um 
you know, we do hear it here from, from Eamon Valda that they are heading to Falm to push the Shanshan back uh, into the ocean from whence they came. So uh, I would say we may be seeing the White Cloak Army by the end of the season. Yeah. Um, it always has felt with this group that there's a smaller group here that are traveling across the lands effectively. So uh, so maybe this big army that we're expecting will be coming in Falm later on this season. Yeah, definitely. Great stuff. Thanks, Elias. Yeah, thank you so much, Elias Von Doom. Yeah, find it weird calling you Elias Von Doom because we know your name's Victor. But anyway, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> let's move on to our other piece of feedback on email from Co- Coffee and Vodka, who says, Greetings, fellow Dream Dimension defenders. Where to begin? Another packed episode with much in common with Ahsoka, most majorly being the odds stacked mightily against the light by a well-prepared and organized dark. The difference is that here, it's not one organization, but many working in tandem in the macro with quite different goals in the micro. Absolutely. The most perplexing of these is Leandrin. While seemingly in league with the Dark One and his allies, she's also set Nynaeve and friends up as a spanner in their works. Actively breaking the three rules, she seems out to either dismantle the Ace's Eye or to rule it with new rules all her own. At the same time, she's either in agreement or stopping the wheels turning or is using the threat of the Dark to set up her own more universal power base while playing both sides against the middle. Or none of these things. Are we looking at a villain, hero, or anti-hero? With so much going on, it seems a bit silly to obsess over only one aspect in comparison to the more obvious goals of the other bad factions. However, hers is the one most shredded in mystery. Yeah. I'd ask your opinion, but Chris would no doubt coyly just say, all shall be revealed. He might even sing it. <laughs> five <laughs> Leandrin Angels, BDS Rans, and Lanfear Krugers out of five. Peace and take care, coffee and vodka. P.S. Gotta love whole hour-long episodes. Totally agree with you. The Coffee and Vodka, the hour-long episodes are so good. Um, really enjoy our sitting down watching this before uh, breakfast. A Absolutely. big movie every every Friday morning when we get up. It's great. Yeah, and I couldn't agree with you more. You know, Leandrin, at least for me so far in the book, she does seem like the, a villain of the group from the Two Rivers as well as to the Aes Sedai and yeah. her allegiance to the Dark. Um so far, you know, doesn't seem to be questioned as far as I could tell until I started on season two. And you're right, it, it's she's painted, um, I may just not have come into the book yet, but here it it is shifting sands with her as yeah. to what she is doing. Just um, suits the situation, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, totally uh, agree uh, with that for sure. Good stuff. Thanks, Coffee and Vodka, for your thoughts. Yes, thanks so much, Coffee and Vodka. I would say Chris would probably coyly sing, uh, we're not going to tell you, read the books, or it'll all be sorted out in the future. (laughs) Well, blessed be your eardrums, Coffee and Vodka, for you have not heard the siren of Chris uh, decimating said eardrums. Aren't we good? Aren't we good? (laughs) Thanks so much. Yeah. Good stuff. We also got some Twitter feedback from Matt Murdick Mm. from the Busting Blockbusters podcast, who sent a message saying, This is mostly for Derek, but the idea of suicide from losing the one power is kind of like drug addiction. Mm. Rain is able to cope because she's keeping herself busy, while the suggestion for Legane wanting to kill himself is well explained by Thom in the first season when he talks to Rand about what happened to his nephew Owen after being gentled by Aes Sedai. Ah, yes. And Legane is at least slightly mad. 
The first season demonstrated that with the voices whispering to him as he channeled. The whispers are the madness. Mm. Plus his whole accusation of Moraine and the Aes Sedai in general, as well as his absolute denial of the taint, those dark streaks that we've seen in the weaves when males channel, is a sign to me that his madness has progressed, even if just a bit. Excellent stuff, Matt, uh, and thanks for that feedback. And good reminder around um, uh, Tom Merrillon and his nephew, because, yes, he is not a fan of the Aes Sedai either. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, Thanks for that, Matt. That does explain it a bit better uh, for me, a bit more for me, uh, in terms of this idea that uh, that the males that channel will eventually kill themselves so i think i was i was speculating that that could be um a rumor effectively that the Aes Sedai were using to keep men who channel down but it uh, seems like um it's actually more true than, than we know because we've already heard about it before so uh, thanks for the reminder matt yeah good stuff uh, thanks matt and thank you f- all our fellow wheelies who have uh, provided their feedback absolutely yes and thanks to all of you who've been listening to the episodes for the wheel of time podcast season two yep just a reminder for all you fellow wheelies uh, feedback can be sent into us through email at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com we have our spoiler posts over on our facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tv podcast industries and of course we are on twitter or x or y or z or whatever it will be called at tv pod industries yeah we're not calling it x because when you say we're on x that means you're on ecstasy right so we're not going to say that no Uh, we will still call the twitter for at least the next little while great stuff we will be back next week of course for episode six of the wheel of time season two eyes without pity is the episode name Mm. yes interesting looking forward to episode six now uh this this is feeling epic definitely definitely talking about epic we have mentioned it already but we are also covering star wars ahsoka each week going to be another epic episode of that uh for episode six of that show and we'll be back to school with the spin-off of the boys gen v at the end of the month and as far as I remember, Loki's coming out on the 6th of October as well. So uh, four shows are going to be uh, coming to an end or starting up Absolutely. around the 6th of October. It is going to be busy. Yeah. And we're going to the UK to go and watch Manchester Orchestra in Manchester on the 5th of October. So I don't know how we're fitting all this stuff in, but yeah. we'll do it. We'll and we'll there. be in London on the 15th for uh-huh. NFL. Yeah. Going to see the Ravens play in London. Mm-hmm. That's going to be Absolutely. good. Absolutely. Going to be Cannot good. wait. But until then, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Hope you stay with us on TV podcast industries yes good stuff fellow wheelies indeed remember until next time keep watching keep listening and keep wheeling bye bye